morning, Paul. Good morning. Come, come into the office. How are you looking well this week? How are you feeling? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. I just uh, there's things going on, Doctor Herbertator, and um, I, I, it, it's carrying on a bit. But you know, you know, we we're getting through, and you know, you... I say pre-crisis, Paul. What are you listening to over there? I'm listening to this alternate version of Paul and Dr. Herfenstaffner. Now they're terrible. They're terrible. They never solve oh, that. Dr. Herfenstaffner knows nothing. He never solves anything for that other Paul. They just keep going on. I think he's just creating as well a drive more than anything. Yeah, and that Paul is such a whiner. I'm so sick of that Paul. He makes me so angry. Oh, I just want to punch things. I'm just going to punch reality over here. You do that, pre-crisis Paul. DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths all the way up in order, and we're going to contextualize them and chat about them. And today we have reached 2005 and a little tiny event that everyone calls Infinite Crisis. Little and tiny, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm joined by Mike, my podcasting buddy. Hello, Paul. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, so Infinite Crisis. uh, It was, what, seven issues and then four specials and lots of series involved. A whole lot of stuff going on, so... Yeah, but the uh, the main the main book was uh, written by Jeff Johns, uh, with art by Phil Jimenez, with a bit of help from George Perez and Ivan Race. I've googled how to say that correctly, <laughs> and I think Jerry Aldway and Joe Bennett got involved after a while too. And it had covers by George Perez, and there were alt covers by Jim Lee and Sandra Hope, and you could pick and choose whichever you wanted. Um, but it was lettered by Nick Napolitano and coloured by Jeremy Cox, Guy Major, Tanya Horry and Richard Horry. Mm. Presumably related. There, there's a good chance of that, yes. yes. Yeah. So, Mike, what's this one about? Well, um, after the events depicted in the Countdown to Infinite Crisis and related miniseries, those being OMAC Project, Rand Thanagar War, Day of Vengeance and Villains United, things in the DCU have taken a turn for the worse. OMAC robots are on the rampage, magic is dying, villains are uniting and Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman are divided. Watching over all of this from a pocket universe are four survivors of the Crisis of Infinite Earths, Superman, Kal-El and his wife Lois Lane from Earth 2, Alexander Luthor of Earth 3 and Superboy of Earth Prime. And what initially appears to be a plan to restore Lois's ailing health turns out to be something far, far worse, Paul. Oh, isn't it? Oh, gosh. 
So to understand this, you've got to realise that at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, there were a few heroes from uh, sort of alternate Earths who sort of made his sacrifice and then sat outside of reality, mm. uh, you know, with the satisfaction that that saved everybody. Yeah. Um, the trouble is um, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't stick with it. So <laughs> No. Yeah. Original Superman, yes, he's good. Um, original Lois, she's fine, except she's dying. But um, Alexander Luthor, the the redhead, literal redheaded child, <laughs> he, uh, he's gone bad, and he's yeah. got involved in the DC universe today, and is manipulating stuff, and he's changing the center of the universe out in space, and yeah. And then you've got uh, Superboy Prime, who is a jeez, uh, he's an annoying brat. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and, and what a shock that uh, someone of the Luther lineage turns out to be evil. What a shock, you know? Yeah, this this is a big one, isn't it? It's huge. Just that I don't think there was any corner of the DCU that was not touched by this event. It was gigantic, yeah. and, and considering it follows on directly from those those four miniseries that preceded it and led into this, it's it's gigantic. Yeah, it is huge. Mm. Yeah, so the, I mean. There was something for everyone. Like there was a crisis for every part of the universe. Like you know, Aquaman is uh, Atlantis gets attacked by the Spectre and mm. uh, squished a bit, um, <laughs> just a bit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was going on all over. So I mean, we literally had in there's a Justice League, a JLA issue where the Martian Manhunter is in the Watchtower and he hears something and turns around and goes, what, you? And then the Watchtower explodes and in this book he finally found out what that is and it was Superboy Prime popping into um, mess to steal the Martian Manhunter. So it, it's kind of like a pre-crisis collectible market going on in this book where they, they want to have people from different Earths um, to power this machine that they've made out of the Anti-Monitor mm. uh, to bring the multiverse back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, bring it back the way it should be. And there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the DC Universe. You know, really, it's it's having to go at the writers and the editorial. Um, mm -hmm. But <laughs> it's saying it's a mess and everything's dark and people getting their backs broken and then dying and people fighting for no reason and et cetera. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, this is this is to fix all that. And it's a, a crazy, crazy scheme. But um, it's got the scale that you want to see in this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's it's putting commentary on the whole good old days where the heroes were were bright and noble and you know standing in the sunlight. Whereas in the modern era, they're all dark and and grim and you know violent and and just living without joy is one line. One of the characters in the the, the pocket universe says about you know how how our heroes live in this day and age. And it's like yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and there's that stinging rebuke to Superman where Batman says, the last time you inspired anyone was when you were dead. Oh, that was oh. cold. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah. World's finest no more. <laughs> yeah. And well, everyone's scared of Wonder Woman just in case she'll snap their neck. Cause... Yeah, it's, which, is fair, which is fair enough. And it does happen in, in one of the, the fight scenes where she's trying to save the citizens on the street and they're all going yelling at her to get away and throwing stuff at her because they've seen what she did to max lord so yeah poor diana uh, poor mm. diana mm. so uh this is uh, pretty much it's definitely an occupier for the dc universe uh, mm -hmm. as an event um it's a little bit of a fixer as well yeah i, w I was thinking it, it's part fixer part occupier because it, it almost seems like a course correction to a course correction that happened 20 years earlier. So, yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you there on, on those event types for this one. Yeah, but I, I think it was one that, you know, the company was all in on, you know, all behind, everyone had to play, um, and everyone got lots to do, and it feels quite epic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Huge. Yeah, so what are your best moments in the series? Uh, okay, well, I got a few of them. Uh, the revelation that Alexander Luthor and Superboy Prime had been visiting Earth for some time and, and manipulating events, as you mentioned earlier. So, you know, Alex was responsible for Brother Eye going rogue and the Ermax going on their rampage. And, you know, he uh, disguised himself as our Lex Luthor to sort of help unite the villains together um, or all to help his grand scheme of rebuilding the multi-dimensional tuning fork head of the the anti-monitor's <laughs> corpse, uh, which Superboy Prime, you know, fished out from out of space for him. Uh, so that, the, the revelation that that's what the preceding miniseries w- were all about, and that it was all Alex's plan, that was that was I love that revelation. Um, the the you can't read this without mentioning Superboy Prime's reality punch triggering changes in reality. Mm. Um, I, I know for, for myself and I'm assuming you as well, Paul, you know, thanks to Superboy's Prime's punch, we got the Doom Patrol back. We did. Uh, you know, so that's, that's a, I mean, it wasn't great. He was punching reality, but you know, some good came out of it. Um, another favorite scene, Chemo being dropped onto Bloodhaven by Ooh. the Brotherhood of Evil. That was yeah. just over the top and horrifying and cruel. It was just yeah. cruel. Yeah, it he's was... just a weaponized bomb, isn't he? And uh, as he's fall- about to hit the ground, he, he just says, oop. And next thing, you know, all the Bloodhaven's been squished. Uh, so that that one, probably my favorite scene uh, in, in the entire story was uh, when Earth 2 is uh, recreated and the heroes are transported there and they're the only people on the planet uh, and unfortunately despite uh, their best plans and intentions Lois still passes away uh, because the the scheme was if they could return Lois to her home planet she would uh, be, be healed and, and gain uh, more vitality and keep living with Kal-El that didn't happen so that was a bit heartbreaking when she passed away there but she also old. The f- she old though oh well yeah I know I was kind of like it's going to happen. But also on that planet uh, the fight between Kal-El and Clark Kent, Superman, our Superman uh, when they're fighting on Earth 2 uh, and and Cal has a massive realisation that nothing's right when Clark says to him, if you're from this Earth it can't be perfect because a perfect Earth doesn't need a Superman. Yeah, I got you there. Yeah, I just thought, he's got you, he's got you kal so... Yeah, I, I love that scene. And also, um, I forgot that this story introduced us to uh, Jaime Reyes, the, the new Blue Beetle. Yeah. So I was like, woohoo, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, and, and of course, you know, the brief return of the multiverse before it all gets squished into, into New Earth. So, yeah, yeah lot, lots of hype. I'm talking about you, Paul. What were your favourite points from this? Uh, the scale of this just keeps escalating upwards. I mean, until you literally got, um, you know, all these Earths being created and um, Alexander Luther is grabbing two at, two at a time and ramming them together and making mm-hmm. a new one. And the scale of that is nuts. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yep. that's the sort of thing you can do in comics that movies wish they could show that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, it was. it's a really strong read. I mean, it, at the start, everyone's so angry with each other. <laughs> Yes. And by yes, the end, they they're all cool with each other, and I'm not sure why. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, we survived a lot of stuff, but and now we're cool. But Now, um, now yeah. we're cool, and we need a timeout from each other. So, <laughs> see you in a year or so. Yeah. 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 It, the things that came out of it, yeah, you're right, there's Jaime Reyes, that's one of the big ones, the new Blue Beetle, and, you mm-hmm. know, that's the one they're really moving forward. Uh, you know, there's talk of a movie with that, that character, and yep. I, for one, wel- welcome that very much. That'll be cool, yeah. Uh, other things is they'd wrapped up the Spectre story in the uh, John Ostrander series, and the Spectre was sort of um, without a host. He'd had Hal Jordan for a while, but then Hal Jordan came back, and then uh, the Spectre was just sort of uh, a, a, a free-floating plasma spectrum. A <laughs> <laughs> nasty vapour. Anyway, um, but he... <laughs> He gets influenced by uh, Eclipso as mm. well and uh, ends up, you know, going on a rampage. It decides that magic is evil and goes on a rampage. And in the solution to this is it's very left field that um, a policeman in Gotham Central becomes the host for the Spectre. So, yeah. Yeah. I, mm. yeah, I, I still go, hmm, that was interesting. The, the, the Spectre stuff and the magic stuff did make me scratch my head a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, and then there was the Battle for Bloodhaven that came out of it, which was a, a miniseries afterwards, six issues. And part of the thing that happens in that is the Captain Adam, who was disappeared from the DC Unis for a while, he came back during Infinite Crisis. But during the Battle for Bloodhaven, he absorbs an explosion and goes off to the Wildstorm universe for a while. Oh. And, ha- and has a miniseries over there, so. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I mean, there's little things that you see in the series that I don't remember. Like you see the um, the uh, what's it called, the Tangent Universe Green Lantern on the yes, beach. yes. And I was like, what came of that? And I cannot recall. So if anyone remembers the deal with that, could you let me know? Because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it may have just been a shout out to the Tangent Universe in general, because uh, she did a yeah, her, her lantern was on a beach found by a couple of boys towards the end of the story, but she did appear in a, at least a couple of panels um, during all the chaos going on. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it, it, this is huge and quite a satisfying story. Now, did you feel like there was anything missing from the story? Because there are four specials that sort of <sighs> fill in the blanks. See, I I have this weird thing where, uh, looking back at, at the original Crisis of Infinite Earth series, that story had 12 issues to tell its, its story in. This had, in the main Infinite Crisis story, this had seven issues. And I can't decide if they needed to trim the fat and get it down to six issues or be given more. Because I kind of think there's so much going on in the main series that you kind of... Like, I, I had to reread a couple of bits to try and make sense of a lot of it. So I'm kind of thinking maybe they should have had more stories or maybe... As much as I enjoyed the story, I, yeah, I can't decide which way it should have gone. So, because there's so much happening in it, it's so epic. It's like, should you trim the fat? Should you expand the number of issues you should have had? I don't know. I don't yeah. know, Paul. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention is we get grown-up Bart Allen. So Impulse becomes the Flash at the mm. end of this. Yeah. And, it, and leads to a very unsuccessful and unsatisfying little run on the Flash. So. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Turns out people don't like Bart Allen being grown up and normal, so he's much oh. more fun when he's fun. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. So he's just come back in the latest Young Justice series that's running in now. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so there are four specials that fill in the blanks, and in issue seven, you know how the villains are all on the attack? Um, mm-hmm. 
you get the story that leads, you know, has them all getting organised now, jail and everything, and you know that's all driven by evil Luther. Okay. Um, yeah, and I particularly like the end of the story where the Joker uh, wipes out Alexander Luther for not being allowed <laughs> to participate in the story, which was so weird because Joker appeared in what one page at the very start of the story, and you don't see him again until the very end of the story. Yeah, and it was kind of like, oh, that's right. <laughs> He, he, he wasn't welcome. Okay, yes, I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like editorial. You know, you're going to pay for it if you don't put the Joker in everything. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, um, now, uh, do we feel that we're ready to start scoring on this one? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. Okay. All right, so, eventiness. I think this is maximum eventy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Aventus Maximus. Um, I'm going to give it a 10. I don't think it can get any more eventy than it is. It, it covers everything. Pulls on, you know, it's, it's at the Legion of Superheroes, but they weren't having their own book at this point. Mm. And it, it's full on. It's, it's big. It's got everybody. And everyone has interesting things to do. It, it, it's not like there's any fake parts of it where it's like, well, this is a bit weak. Mm-hmm. You know, a whole bunch of characters go off to space. Um, and there's fighting in all the major cities of the DC universe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, the Outsiders, Robin, Teen Titans, Firestorm, they all have, you know, major stuff to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all important. So, yeah, I'm giving it a 10. What about you, Mike? I'm going to give it a 9. I agree with you. It's it's a massive event. uh, And it's a massive sequel to to Crisis on Infinite Earths. And surprisingly, yeah, yeah, it involves everyone in the DCU. But I took a point off because there were parts of it that I felt were a bit of a rehash of Crisis. Uh, like the giant dimensional tuning fork tower and the multiple earths. I thought, okay, uh, maybe because I'd read Crisis not so long ago myself, but I, I still think, yeah, n- nine. It's it's still up there, yeah. Right. And where are you on the writing? I'm going to give the writing a seven. Uh, for the most part, the writing's fine and the story is interesting, and uh, as I said, it gives some interesting meta-commentary on the good old days versus the grimdark modern times, but I did find it was a little bit all over the place because there is so much going on, Uh, and I was finding that the focus was jumping around far too much. In some instances, you just got little vignettes more than a concrete scene to to take in. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, well, How that's interesting. I'm also giving it a seven. Um, okay. Probably because I think some of the, the heel turn from uh, Superboy Prime and Alexander Luther is a bit of a speed bump in the story that you go, you have to accept that, you know, Alexander Luther, who had been previously self-sacrificing and noble, is suddenly mm. like, hey, I'm a Luther, I always have to fight the Supermans, and you go, <laughs> yeah. you don't really, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. That's probably the the weakest point and uh, it's it's a pretty bloodthirsty comic a lot of people die in nasty ways and it's they do yeah yeah, i get i still get angry when the freedom fighters get wiped out at the start because i I love those characters and Mm. you know it's like the villains are so villainous in this villainous way and (laughs) yeah we get it okay yeah oh they're killing everyone oh that's not good um and when superboy prime when superboy prime has his rampage i mean that just gets ridiculous he's yeah, popping heads <laughs> off and ripping arms off. and Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I did notice reading this again, and I haven't read it in a while, is that Superboy Prime uh, kind of reminded me of a certain section of comic book fandom. 
uh, in that, you know, they think they know best and that they know how to solve everything, but when their shitty actions get challenged, it's suddenly everyone else's fault. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to what you were saying before. He's just a, a whiny, annoying kid. And it's like, oh my God. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he's the backseat driver of writing, you know, saying, oh, I, I, my DC universe would be better than this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, with the art and the covers, I think the art is fantastic. Um, I'm giving it a nine. It, it's so strong throughout. There was a little bit of uh, rushed effort at the end, but they got mm-hmm. the comic out on time, and then they cleaned up the art a bit for the uh, the finished trade paperback and hardcover mm-hmm. collection. So there's a little bit of that went on. But, uh, yeah, there's so many characters in it, and, you know, the art is pretty much flawless. So I'm giving it a nine because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an artist, so there's probably flaws I can't spot. So, lose it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving the art and covers an eight. I agree with you. The art is great, and it has some fantastic splash pages in there. But like the writing, I found some of it was just too busy. And I found it difficult to take in exactly everything that's happening. Some of the pages are so jam-packed with action and scenes going on. It's you, You're kind of like, okay, where do I look next? Uh, what, what's going on here? Uh, but yeah, for, for the most part, it's it's consistently great. Uh, I My personal favourite issue art-wise is probably issue four, where all the heroes are just fighting Superboy Prime, because there's a few scenes in there uh, where the, the panels have, have got red colouring uh, and red colouring and then yellows when the flashes arrive to save the day and it just made me think and this is also some of the really violent scenes as well and I just thought that the bright reds and yellows kind of cements in how dangerous this fight is you know when Panther loses her head and mm. uh, and oh, what was his name was lost an arm was it Risk that lost an arm yeah Risk Risk, Risk. yeah it was like yeah that's getting full on stuff <laughs> But yeah, I, I think uh, eight for, for me on the art and covers. Yeah, okay. And what about uh, the impact and legacy for you? Um, I, I'm giving it a seven. Uh, as I mentioned before, I, it felt like a bit of a course correction to an earlier course correction. Uh, but then again, it, it set the stage for the modern DC era. Uh, it launched a few Aftermath miniseries, as well as One Year Later and 52, uh, which were, you know, even bigger and stories um but it it doesn't not that it bugs me but if you've not read this you you this story isn't friendly to casual readers you no. know I felt you you really have to be invested in the dcu and its recent history around this time it, it well even going back to crisis on infinite earth you, you really have to be aware of your dc history to get the most out of it uh i, I don't th- i think and to be honest i have not read uh the four miniseries that you and peter covered on the previous episode of DCOCD. Ah. so when i first read this i was a little bit lost going in i mean i, I figured it out eventually as as the story progresses but Having now heard that episode and knowing what goes on there, I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. I really should get those books and read them. So, um, but yeah, overall, I think I think seven's a fair score for Impact and Legacy for me. How hmm. about you? Well, if I uh, go to my man cave and look in the cabinet there, I've got an OMAC Lego set. So, wow, yeah, nice, yeah. So because of that, it has to be an eight. <laughs> right. I've got a brother eye satellite Lego toy, so yeah. That's very cool. What a time to be alive. Whoever thought we'd have that <laughs> sort of toy? I know. 
the DC universe has sort of chopped and changed. We've had the new 52. We've had continuity come and go. But I think this story is always sort of, sort of in vogue with continuity. I think, you know, I think it will always matter in some ways. Blue Beetle, the new Blue Beetle is always going to matter. The, you know, the multiverse coming and going, you know, the fact that the crisis happened and it counted. These are things that, you know, still matter today. You know, the DC universe is in a, weird spot at the moment because we've had the rebirth event and but but you know there's clearly uh some sort of connective tissue still trying to grow back to this uh after new 52 did the transplant so yeah and superboy prime certainly becomes a villain for a few more events oh yeah they get great mileage out of him yeah yeah so uh eight from me so we're not doing this alone we've got uh al sedano from the resurrections a warlock and thanos podcast so very timely everyone knows who the noz is these days um <laughs> yes yes <laughs> so uh let's hear what al has to say hello paul mike dr scratch and sniff and everyone listening for the most of you who don't know i'm al sedano host of resurrections and adam warlock and thanos podcast I'd like to thank you, DC OCD sufferers, for having me on as this episode's semi-OCD patient. I'm assuming you had me on this time because you figured, even if I don't read DC, I would have seen the Infinite title in this series and picked it up by mistake. But you would be wrong. Not only did I pick this series up as it came out, but I was already deep into the DCU for years before and was very excited when this was announced. However, it's been a few years since I've read this, so it was nice to have a reason to look at it again, just on its own without all the lead-up and with over a decade of hindsight. For the most part, it's a pretty good story, as long as you aren't bothered by the heel turns by Alex Luthor and Superboy Prime. Superboy Primes didn't bother me. I hadn't read any of his appearances outside of Crisis, and since he wasn't the actual Superboy, I didn't, and don't, view it as a big deal. He, of course, does come across as an annoying, spoiled brat, but that was the intention. Whether that makes any sense at all, I will leave to the people who have read his pre-crisis stories to decide. Now, Alex Luther's turn bothered me a bit more, though. It has been several years since I read Crisis, so maybe this is just memory playing tricks on me. But if you had asked me to describe his character in just one word, I would have said, kind. That was always the impression I had of him. He was very kind. So it was a bit disturbing to see how he behaves here. The thing that helps is that They were basically trapped in a kind of solitary confinement away from the rest of reality for years. Unlike Superman of Earth 2 and Lois, they didn't have a chance to grow up and, well, have lives. Alex even less than Superboy. So I could see how it would drive them mad. The Superman of Earth 2 at least didn't have an actual heel turn. He did act on the wrong side for a bit, but that was out of love and fear of loss. And we've seen Superman act similarly before, For the same reasons. Kingdom Come comes to mind. But like a real Superman should, he saw right and wrong, and acted on the side of right, no matter what the consequences. And there were consequences for him. He died, as did his Lois. Now, if I had to give an end to this more or less original version of Superman, I would have stuck with his entering paradise, as shown at the end of Crisis. Although his last words of, it's not going to end, did remind me of the Superman tombstone from Final Crisis Superman Beyond, which read, to be continued. Anyway, if you are going to kill him though, I would want it to be in a huge and epic story. Something worthy of killing off the original Man of Steel. This is going to lead into my score for the eventiness of this 
event. I'm going to give it a 10. There have been stories of high stakes before, but to give something a 10, I need to feel that not only everything is at stake and that the odds are not good, but it needs to have everyone involved and feel like they're there for a reason beyond, these are the titles that we currently publish. There aren't many stories that I would consider giving a 10 to automatically. Crisis is the only one that comes right to mind. There are a few others I would consider. Zero Hour, The Great Darkness Saga, Final Crisis. Yes, I said that. Deal. But I think only this one and Crisis on Infinite Earths get an automatic 10 from me. Like I said, it does have the feel of everything being at stake and the odds against them, which I mostly felt at the end of issue 5, when everyone else is dealing with all the side effects, and we only have Superboy and Nightwing to deal with the main threat. But it also got all of the characters involved in ways that I felt made sense. With Alex Luthor's plan, we had reasons to evolve magic characters, cosmic space characters, the more gritty street-level heroes, and even tell us why the villains were doing what they were doing. It truly was a master plan. This brings us to the writing. I'm going to give it a 7. Now, because of the reasons I just gave, you would have thought I was going to go higher, maybe. But there are a few things that bring it down. One of these is the cannon fodder deaths. All those minor or underused characters that just showed up to die. Pantha and Baby Wildebeest, for example. In an event like this, I expect there to be some deaths. I'm not going to pretend I don't. Both major characters and some minor ones. I accept that. But because of all the praise I gave before to this series, how eventful it felt, and how it got everyone involved in a way that felt right, I expected more for these characters than to be treated like red shirt number five. Look at the countdown to Infinite Crisis one-shot and the death of Ted Kord, Blue Beetle. At that point in the DCU, Ted was a minor character. Since the beginning of 2001, until that issue came out in early 2005, I count only about 37 appearances, and a lot of those were just for a panel or two. Yet Countdown gave him a good story, and his death mattered. Now, I'm not expecting that John's Wheel will do that for every character that was killed here, but give us some reason to care about some of them. Make us feel like their deaths mattered in some way. I didn't get that feel at all. They just died because someone had to. At least when Psycho Pirate was killed by Black Adam, I felt something. Granted, it was, finally! But that's better than nothing. He can do it. He just didn't. Speaking of the Psycho Pirate's death, that brings me to the other reason I have to drop the writing points down. And that's going to lead into the art score as well. The on-screen gore. From Psycho Pirate's face being crushed, to Panther's head getting knocked off. This was quite a violent book. And it felt like that was intentional. Having read other Jeff Johns written series where this also happens, I have to think this is at his direction. I'm not saying I want these to be G-rated series, but I think there's got to be a happy medium where you're kept in the story and affected by the deaths, but not stopping to think, wow, that was pretty bloody. I just reread Avengers Forever, and there's a scene near the end where a character is killed, and it's on panel, and all you have left is a skeleton. But it wasn't excessively bloody or gory, nor was it cartoony and silly. And I wasn't taken out of the story because they had to show all the person's organs bursting or something. So now we're on the art score, which I'm going to give an 8. We got some really great artists here. Phil Jimenez, George Perez, Ivan Reese, Jerry Ordway, Joe Bennett. It was really good. But we do have the excessive blood and gore issue to drive the art score down a bit. 
And yes, I just kind of put that mostly on John's, but they still drew it. So, and I'm also knocking a point off for having too many art changes. The first few issues were fine, but by the time we got to the end, there were a lot of changes of art in the same issue. And that's something that'll take me out of a story too, especially since not all the styles match up. So it's very noticeable. Some of them were fine. In fact, I didn't know that George Perez co-drew some of the issues with Phil Jimenez until I just looked them up. But that's because their styles match, so it didn't take you out of the story. But the ones by the end, just trying to get the issue out in time, that did. Alright, last category. Legacy and Impact. I'm going to give it a 6. Sure, we got a lot of stuff at the end of the series that did continue on. Crispus Allen as the Spectre, Supergirl in the Future with the Legion, Shadow Pact, Superboy's Death, Bart as the Flash, but most of those changes were gone within a few years. And five years after this, we got the new 52, and everything was rebooted anyway. It does at least get a 6 because there were some long-term ramifications. Jaime Reyes as the new Blue Beetle, for one thing. That's definitely something that's still around. And this series led directly into the 52 weekly series, which not only brought back the multiverse, which is still around, but because of the success of 52, we got all the other weekly series, like Countdown to Final Crisis, Trinity, Wednesday's Comics, Batman Eternal, Brightest Day, and a bunch of others. I'm not talking about the quality of any of those particular series, just the fact that they exist can be traced back to right here. Totaling everything up, we got a 31. Not a bad score out of a possible 40. So to wrap up, very enjoyable series with a few issues, but overall, quite the event. Okay, I'm going to let you guys finish off the episode. I got this cocoon I found over here, and I'm going to hang out and see what pops out. I'm kind of hoping to see a bright white afro. Okay, so mm, that's some very good points. And mentioning Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes, that's one I'd forgotten about. So thanks, Al. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Al. We'll add up the scores. So, Mike, we get a 9, a 7, an 8, and a 7 from you. That comes to 31. Uh, whereas I've went 10, 7, 9, and 8, which gave me 34. Ooh, high scores. And Al gave it a 10, a 7, an 8, and a 6, uh, which adds up to 31. And then we halve that because he's semi, but we round it up because we're kind. And then he gets 16. So let's add 31, 34, and 16 together. That gives us a score of... 81. Wow. 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 I, I was expecting somewhere in the 70s uh, for this, uh, but wow, 81, that's really good. So that ties with Batman's No Man's Land. So we've had an, our second tie of DCOCD. Ooh, wow. Yeah, so, and just below the to- tie of uh, Death of Superman and Nightfall on 82. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. It's better than Cosmic Odyssey and better than Legends, according to our scoring. So. <laughs> And I, well, I can't it, dispute that. Yeah, it, it's pretty epic. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's good stuff. You know, d- despite my little niggles with it, but yeah, it's 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 a good read. Yeah. Anyway, let's play Al's promo for his podcast, and then we'll come back with a bit of feedback. Hello, everyone. I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life, from his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now, we have made it midway through the 1970s, and Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus, Gamora, Pip the Troll, 
and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com So we've got one bit of feedback. So Tim Price has jumped on the waitingfordoom.com website, which is where we do our stuff. And um, one of the things you can see over there is the ladder. You can see the DC OCD ladder with all the DC events in order, and you can see them by episode order, and then you can see them by rank order. So soon you'll be able to see this new episode popped into the uh, the ranking order, which is very exciting. Nice. Uh, yeah, but Tim left a comment about our last episode, which was the countdown to Infinite Crisis, which uh, I did with Peter Rios. And he said, hi, Paul and Peter. Thanks for the excellent coverage of this pre-event event. Back in the day, I bought the One Shot, Villains United and the OMAC Project, but not Day of Vengeance or Ranthanagar War. Something about those two minis didn't speak to me and sounds like I wasn't alone. I agree that this series really stomped on the legacy of the JLI with the death of both Blue Beetle and Rocket Red. Dimitri's death is often overlooked, more the tragedy since, to me, he gave JLI its heart. His sacrifice to save his friends was heartbreaking, albeit wonderfully portrayed, and left him the hero we all knew. But it was sad to see the Boahaha die. And first comment, yes. So, <laughs> yes, Tim and Sean Ross have been having uh, a little war over being first commenters. But I think other people should get involved and leave their comments here. They so. should, yeah. We, yeah. We, would lo- we would love to hear from other people out there on the internet uh speaking of other people on the internet we also got uh an itunes review uh from mike z33 uh over in america and he said awesome just found this through the fire and water network excellent quick capsulations of dc events the good and the bad thank you very much mike we do have your address already so i apologize for not getting your postcard to you but we will get that to you as soon as we possibly can just a reminder, if you leave us an iTunes review, you get a Waiting for Doom postcard. And we're actually working on something new for that sort of thing as well. Because mm, the, the postcards are almost gone. They are almost gone. The, almost the pile gone. is dwindling. Yes, yes. They'll, they'll, they'll be worth so much one day, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> They're already worth a lot, mate. I know, I know. Yeah. They'll be worth a lot more. Yeah, so what are we up to next, Mike? Next time on the feed, we are going to be back with a Waiting for Doom episode. Uh, we'll be continuing on uh, with the start of Volume 5, looking at issues 2 and 3. And then, when we come back on uh, DCOCD, we'll be looking at the, the next big event, which is 52. Oh. I've got to get some reading done. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get so much reading done. I've read the first issue. <laughs> Well, you're one up on me. One hey. down, 51 to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But please get in touch and tell us what you think of Infinite Crisis as well, because, uh, yeah, love it or hate it, we'd like to know why and how, etc. Anyway, um, you can get in touch through, well, because there's waitingfordoom.com site. You can leave a comment on the post for the show. Um, we also have uh, email at dcocdcast at gmail.com. And we're, of course, on Twitter at dcocdcast. So um, and that's that's about it, isn't it, Mike? Oh, there's yep. Facebook. Waiting for Doom on Facebook. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time on the next podcast that we do next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.